a Bible, open it in Job chapter 38 and just have that open on your knee. Job chapter 38 and verse 1. Job chapter 38 and verse 1. I'll come to it in a moment. Job 38 and verse 1. Three weeks ago, we began a new series called Here I Stand. And that's based upon something that happened to Martin Luther. Martin Luther, as you know, is one of the, the fathers of evangelical faith. And in 1520, he left the Catholic Church and, 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 and got a hold of a Bible. And in 1520, he was being interrogated by the emperor in Germany. And, and the emperor was quizzing him, why do you believe what you believe? And they were pushing him and prodding him. And he was under a huge death threat, you know. For many, many years. Why do you believe what you believe? And Martin Luther famously replied, Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. And if, 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 if there's a word for the church, I think there's one right there. Has there ever been a day? I don't know if you can you know, witness with those words, but they really mean a lot to me. I understand those words because someone can come to me and say, you know, there is no God. Why are you so foolish as to believe in God? You know, and they can put a gun to your head and I'm going to kill you if you don't reject Jesus. And you'd have to say, look, here I stand. And may God help me because I can't unbelieve that, if you know what I mean. I believe in God. I love my God. And I'll give my life for my God. So go ahead. Right? And Luther's words are just as pertinent, just as important for us today. Here we stand. So we started a new series, as I mentioned. It'll probably run for a long time because there's a lot to cover. It's not a series about opinions. I don't have any opinions. I really mean that. I don't, I, I don't have any opinions about the Bible. I have a Bible. I have beliefs, which is a different thing. Opinions are very weak and watery. You know, I can have an opinion about the quickest way into town, you know. It might change next week. It, because my opinion may not be based upon revelation. Beliefs are based upon revelation. A belief is when you're reading there the Scriptures, or God speaks to you, and something becomes firm to you, a foundation. Something becomes real to you. And that's what this series is about. It's not about this opinion or that opinion or this denomination says this or whatever. It's not about that. It's about certain truths of God, truths about God, doctrinal as, as they may be, that we need to know and understand. The foundations on which we stand. As, as I shared in the first week, it is the foundations of your life that get attacked. Hello. Hello. It is your prayer life. It is your fellowship. That's what the devil's after. Because that will kill you quicker than anything. Right. So be, be wise to these things. It's the foundational truths in this world at this moment in time that are most under threat. And in, in the first week, as you know, we looked at the, the book of Genesis a little bit there and, and, and how Paul used Genesis when he was witnessing. Uh, when he was witnessing in his day. A belief is that which comes to me by revelation. There's many of them. And our, our whole Christian existence needs to be based upon them. They're the rock on which we stand. Now there still remains problems. 
with your beliefs. And the problem is this. The person sitting beside you may have different beliefs. They may have a different revelation. And that's absolutely fine. Because your revelation is not complete. You haven't seen everything. You don't know everything. Not everything here has been revealed to you. Amen. Of course not. So that other people have, you know, people have differing revelations. You know the famous illustration of the three blind men who were sent into a dark room with an elephant in it. You heard that one? It's a good illustration. Three blind men sent into a dark room and there's an elephant in it and they're sent in one at a time. And they say to them, go into the room and tell us what you find. And the first man goes in and he finds the elephant's tail, which is long, thin, but hairy bit. And he comes out and he says, Aha! I've got a revelation of what's in that room. It's long, it's thin, it's got a hairy bit on the end. The second man goes in and he feels the side of the elephant. And he goes out and says, He's wrong! It's huge thing! And the third man goes in and finds the trunk. And he comes out and says, They're both wrong! Like, in fact, they were all wrong. <laughs> they were all wrong! to limit themselves. They were all right and they were all wrong. They were wrong to limit themselves to just what they, to what their, you know, their particular revelation was. There was more to it than that. And so it is with our beliefs. We need to stay open. We need to have a continuing revelation, glory to glory, faith to faith. We need to, to pour over these scriptures with an eye for discernment, with an eye for revelation that will make us stronger, more secure in life. You will not regret it. You need it. You need that foundation for life in this world more today than ever. Amen. So, because the person sitting on your left and the person sitting on your right may see things differently from you, that causes a problem for the human race, for the church, church just like this. I mean, this person thinks this. This person thinks that. Hey, there would be no peace in the kingdom, would there? How could God grow a church with any degree of peace whatsoever if that was the case? Thus you have a Bible. So God has given us a book. And in the book is the final rule for all faith and doctrine. The final rule that interprets every revelation. The final rule to which we must go to, to, to understand whether our belief is true or not true. It must be biblical. And I think I could not, I don't know about you, but I can't think of a better way of, of, of equipping the church than a book. I think that's extremely good because it's something you can have, I can have, something I can study, and thus it has been. This is God's way. This is what He has done. And that's fantastic. Take a look at your notes. And it, it, God has been so gracious to mankind. So good. And he, he, he has, over the course of history, sought to give us a revelation of who He is. And look at God's progressive revelation there. Very kind. He gave us nature. And right from the beginning it says this. That He, he, he gave us the stars so that when you would look at the sky, you would know there was a God. Right? I remember the night that I got saved. That's what happened to me. I looked at the sky and I knew there was a God. I knew that, that God existed. It was, it, was, it was plain to be seen in creation. So God began... Listen, I'm talking about the revelation of God to you. How He has revealed Himself to you. It's what you stand on. Nature. First and foremost, in nature. So you see, science 
I'll come to that in a moment. Science attacks nature and tries to disprove God by the very thing He created. In nature, He revealed Himself. He went further still. And in His grace, He gave us a conscience. The fingerprint of, of, of God on the heart of man. He went further still because men would not obey that conscience. And He wrote down on stone the Ten Commandments so that they would have more detail. He went further still and He gave Moses the law the full law that they were to live by. He went further still and sent His Son so that we would have a revelation of who God is. And ultimately, of course, the Holy Ghost is poured out into His hearts. But the ultimate revelation of who God is is right here. The Scripture puts it like this in the Psalms. It says, I have exalted My Word above My name. I'm glad I didn't say that. God said that. In other words, He says, if it's in My Word, I'll stake My name on it. That's how much you can rely on the Scriptures. Fantastic. I have exalted My Word above even My name. That's what God says. And so this book is attacked all day, every day, in a thousand ways that maybe we're not even conscious of. So God gave all that to try and reveal who He is to you and to me. Now, man corrupts that revelation. As, uh, that's the second list. Science tries to disprove God or use the very thing He has created to disprove Him. Instead of living by our consciences, they become seared and we deny God. We take the Ten Commandments and we turn them into religion. Instead of living by, by God's laws, we make our own. Reject Jesus, please ourselves. And the human race runs after its own opinion. And as I say, I don't think I'm entitled to an opinion. I'm, I've got a Bible. That's what I've got. And that's my opinion. So whatever that says, that's what we must believe. So what we're going to do in the, in the first part, if you remember, in the first week as we looked at the foundational truths, we looked at Genesis. And, and, and I hope it's such an important point, folks. Please don't take it lightly. The audience that you're speaking to has changed. Right? The people that you used to evangelize to, they, they didn't have evolution as part of their school curriculum. And now they do. Now they're being taught that. So now you have an extra hurdle to get over. And that's why we need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. That's why Paul, as we saw last week, didn't start at the cross. He started at creation because he knew that the Greeks did not have that. And so it is in our society today, for sure. The people you're talking to, if you have ever wondered why your gospel doesn't seem to get through, it's often because we're starting in the wrong place. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. But remember, it's not just a cross. You have to have a fall before you need a cross. So the gospel starts right there, and that's what Paul did. He took them back, and that's what we must do. So we did that in the first week. Today we're going to move on and look at God and His attributes and His attitudes. His attributes and His attitudes. Someone's attributes are their qualities, if you like. Someone may be big or strong. Someone's attitudes is the way they use those qualities. Okay? Now, God has so many attributes that He can be misconstrued sometimes. I could say to you, there's someone coming into the church here and they're huge. Big fists. Massive. That's an attribute. And you could start to think, oh dear. But then I could say, ah, oh, but they're a really nice person. Right? That's an attitude. And when we talk about God being powerful, which He is, etc., etc., we've got to be careful that we keep it balanced by explaining to people what this great God is like. 
what his attitudes are like. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Just going to look at that. I've, I've given you a quick list there of things that we know, foundational truths in Scripture. And the first one, top of your list, number one is that God can be known as a person. God can be known as a person. In fact, three times the Apostle Paul was quizzed in the book of Acts. And all three times when they held Paul to account, on all three occasions, the first answer out of Paul's mouth was this. God is a God who can be known as a person. That's fantastic. See, God is not a force. He's not a higher power. He's not an it. Right? God is a person. A personable God. Someone we can know. And you have been made in His image. Not Him in your image. Half the problems come from that very thing when we try to make Him into our likeness. And that just cannot be. You, you know you, you can be known. We can know you. You have a personality. We know what you're like. Right? You have been made in the image of God. And God is a God who can be known. Now, I, not long after I got saved, I remember it so well. It was my call into ministry. I was lying. I had a single mattress on the floor in a bedsit, and I, I was seeking God. It was the first few weeks. I was lying on that floor one night, and all I can describe to you is this. It felt to me like the first heaven opened up, and the second heaven opened up, and the third heaven opened up, and this God, my God, your God, spoke to me. And that scared the living daylights out of me. How did I to hide? Because I suddenly realized this person could get to me. I couldn't hide. I could, there was nowhere I could go to get away from me. He's powerful. And spoke to me, you know, that night. A call into ministry. That was, if you like, my first or second encounter with this God who knows me. You know, God can speak to you anytime he chooses right? He can speak for himself. He can find you anywhere you go. David said that. If I go to the top of the mountain, he's there. If I go to the bottom of sea, there he is. He's a God who can be found. He's a God who can be known. Number one. Number two, he is revealed in Jesus Christ. All important fact. He's revealed in Jesus, in Jesus, through Jesus. And I thank God for that, amen. Around the world, Jesus is, is found by people every day. I was witnessing once, just out on the street, handing out leaflets, and this big guy came, and I stopped him. I said, because, you know, sir, can I give you a leaflet? And I explained I'm a Christian. And he, oh, Jesus, you know. And he silenced me and, and was saying, oh, yeah, I want to tell you my story. And this was his story. He said, I, I, I am from Iraq, and I was in the army. And I was in the trenches shooting in the war. And a bomb came in. And the bomb killed everyone in the trench except me. I was left. And he said, I was terrified in that trench. And I was raised a Muslim. So what I did was I looked to heaven. I'm going to die. They're all dead and I will die too. So I looked to heaven and I did this. I cried with all my heart. Ah! And he said, but guess what happened? Jesus came. I cried, Jesus, your Jesus, appeared beside me. And he was beaming. He took my leaflet and he said, I know your Jesus. 
I believe in your Jesus. And off he went. And I thought, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> Bye. You see, do you know what that was? It was someone simply crying out for all the worth for God, whoever that might be, right? He didn't really know. Wasn't obviously a devout Muslim or anything. Didn't know too much. Got came for that tradition. But Jesus heard his cry. And Jesus had the power to, you know, manifest himself in that place and, and, and save that guy. Fantastic. God is a God who can be known, who can be found. And he's revealed in Jesus Christ. I love what C.S. Lewis's wife said. She, her name was Joy. It's a long story. But she, she wasn't saved, neither was he. he. She sought every faith under the sun to try and find the meaning of life. You know, she went to the Buddhists and the Hindus and this, that, and the other. And she said, she said this, when she found Christianity and she began to investigate that, her, her words, and I think I'm quoting correctly here, she said, when she saw Jesus, I saw, quotes, my Savior, whose countenance I would have known amongst 10,000. Wow. In other words, what she was saying, there's something about Christ that when you see him, that's him. Right? Jesus has that ring of truth that this is the Son of God, like the soldier said. God, our God, Paul, goes to great labor to explain, is a God who can be known. He's not an it. He's not a force. He's not a power. He is a, of course, he's got power, but not a power. He's a God who can be known. Number, uh, number one, he's a, he's a person. Number two, he's revealed in Christ. Number three, God is great. And that's why I wanted you to look at Job. This is a fantastic scripture. God is great. Great, great, great. But many people, of course, Christians or not, have a lot to doubt in that. Don't believe it. If God's so great, then why? A. If God's so great, then why? B. C. And we can start to pile up the reasons. If God's so great... Why is there sickness in the world? If God's so great, why did this happen? Why did that happen? And men question God all the time. Thank you, Sue. I asked Sue to pray this morning. Look, folks, I don't like this subject. I, don't, I, I love this subject. I'm just very sensitive. You know when you talk about God, you're talking about a person, not in it. And God is not a subject that you're going to study or I can study. God forgive us. God is a person. I once went to a pastor's meeting where they were going to assess me, my elders, and I walked into the room and I sat down and those four or five guys talked about me as if I wasn't there. What do you think of them doing this? What do you think of them? They hardly even looked at me. And I, you know, I left that meeting stone cold. I felt those guys didn't relate to me at all. But that's not what I remembered it for. I remembered it for this. As I opened my scripture, I said, God, you know what? We come to church and we talk about you like you're an it, like you're a subject, something to be studied or fascinated with. May we never do that. I just asked Sue, would she play as, as we look at this? Because this is not, you know, something abstract this morning. It's something very personal. We're talking about the nature of our God. And that's very special. He is great. And people don't believe he's great because they see the problems that exist in the world. They see sickness, they see poverty, they see disease. And then they start to say, why, 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 why? 
Why this? Why that? And God keeps so quiet, doesn't he? Hardly says a word on those things. Hold it like a good father. And Job was a man enormously blessed, remember? Hugely blessed in every department. All his children die. All his business is destroyed. And he gets seriously ill to the point of death. And he's got questions after questions for God. And God doesn't say a word. You can read all through the chapters. God stays nice and quiet. And then in chapter 38, God, you know, takes a hold of Job and says, Right, I've got a few questions for you. Job chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. Who is this? Who are you that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? You don't know what you're talking about. Brace yourself like a man. And I will question you instead of you questioning me. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Or what were its footings? You see the point? And this goes on for verse after verse after verse after verse. Just remember that line we read. He said, who stretched out the heavens. I'll come back to that in a moment. God is great, all right. It's just he doesn't, I mean, it's, it's all through your scriptures. We forget that. But he is great. And read, read, you can read that when you go home. So number one, he can be known as a person. Number two, he is revealed in Jesus Christ. Number three, he's great. Number four, he's good. God is good. Good, good. And I, I, I get questioned all the time. I'm sure you do too. People will come and say, well, if God is good, how, how, how come my child died or my son died or my daughter died? I don't know. I just know that God is good. If God is good, why this? Well, God didn't originate sickness. God didn't originate disease. God didn't originate evil. He set the circumstance up, but he didn't make it happen. That was man's choice that made it happen. There's a big difference. And God's not the author of this. Mankind is. Right? The devil is and mankind is. I know this, and it's not a, a pat answer. God is good. God is good. No matter what happens, God is good. When I'm suffering, God is good. When I'm hungry, God is good. When I'm lonely, God is good. All the time, right? God is good. He's great. He's good. God is one. And this is something, again, people, especially today, will challenge us on the doctrine of the Trinity. We won't look at it this morning. I don't know what the problem is. What's wrong with the Trinity? Why do you have any problem believing in a trinity? You believe in stranger things than that, friend? All the time. The way I deal with, it, with that, you know, so God is one in essence and three in person. So what? That's nothing strange, really. The way I deal with that one is I, I, I refer people to this documentary I saw with David Attenborough. And this is a real thing. There was this fish, right? And it's about the size of a grapefruit. And it's in the sea. And you know Attenborough, he's down there following this fish. And I, I never forgot it. I thought, look at that thing. You know what it was? It was like the size of a grapefruit, but it was all eyes. It was covered in eyes. It was a rolling ball of eyes going through the sea. And what do you need all them eyes for? And, and an amazing creature. That, to me, is more amazing than a God who says that he's one in essence and three in person. Do you get my point? You actually can see things that are far more hard to, to believe, really, on earth that exist. You can go and see them in an aquarium if you want. So it's not really, you, you don't have to struggle over that. God is one. God is imaginative. 
extremely imaginative. One, one of my favorite things is when you get outside our galaxy. When you look up in the sky at night, if you look in certain parts of the Earth, our galaxy, the Milky Way, stretches like a saucer, you know? So when you look in that direction, if you like, you will see our constellations, our stars. But if you look in that direction, you will see other galaxies, okay? So it depends which direction you're looking at. But they are so diverse. The galaxies are so different everywhere you look. And, and you know, it, it just blows your mind when you think, what is out there, God? You made so much and you made it all so different. It's fascinating, hugely imaginative and creative. Number seven, God is alone. And we can deduce that from a number of things. But to use the universe as an example again, as scientists go further and further out in their knowledge, do you know what they're finding? There are two common denominators in everything, in all planets, in all constellations, in all galaxies. And the two common denominators are this, gravity and velocity. That those two rules run through the whole of the creation as they see it. And you know what that means? <laughs> it means that God's alone, if you like. There's one creator. You see the common pattern. You see the common thread running through everything that man discovers. I know the laws vary from you know, galaxy to galaxy, but there's a common hand at work, right? And it's God's hand that they can see common factors. Number eight, God is a spirit. And again, I, 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 if you struggle with that, you do so completely unnecessarily, believe me. If you have ever used a mobile phone, then you should have no problem with spirits. Right? If you've ever used a, a radio, you should have no problem with spirits. Because a radio wave passes straight through that wall. A radio wave is not physical. Therefore, it's not subject to these, you know, physical laws. You can turn your phone on in here. You get good reception maybe, right? But you can get reception because radio waves pass straight through. And so it is with God. What's strange about that? God is not, you know, physical in that sense. He can pass straight through. Listen, if man can create a radio wave, God's a spirit, amen. He was there before the men, right? So don't struggle with that. And another thing, they say, well, how can God be present in, in, in all places at the same time? Well, look, if the BBC broadcasts BBC Radio 1 from London, that station is heard at the same time in the whole of the UK, right? At the same time. It can pass through everything and it's present everywhere. I repeat, if man can do that, are you saying God can't? So God describes himself as a spirit. Fine, just accept that. Number 10, God is holy. And, and, and for me, this one is really the explanation point. Again, we won't look at it this morning. But the fact that God is holy explains to me just about all the problems we have as a human race. You see, I was talking to Pastor Tom this morning about when Jesus was saying the, the I am. Uh, it, was, it was reserved for God only. Only God could say I am. So when Jesus said that, they were ready to kill him because he was declaring himself God. But the holiness of God... Is, is the reason, if ever, you feel distant from God, if you like. It's his holy, holy, holiness that keeps him that far off. One night, I had been fasting for a long time. I'd done water up a mountain. I came back into a church. I was starving for baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the church I was in didn't know anything about that. It didn't matter. I was going to seek God myself. 
And I returned into the church one Sunday night. I came, I sat down, and I was sitting in the seat. I just needed empowered for the Christian life. And I don't know if you've ever had an electric shock. Had an electric shock? Nobody? <laughs> I've had loads of electric shocks and tinkering with electrical things, right? Uh, they, they can be pretty painful. They can be sore, right? As I sat in that seat, I can tell you, guys, once again, that heaven thing. God just came upon me. I can only describe it like the, the, the most almighty electric shock I ever had in my life, by far. Jeanette was there, what, three, four minutes. My entire body moved. I prophesied in that church. The elders didn't know what on earth to do. This is not their culture. They said, no problem. It's a personal thing. You don't have to do anything about it. Not a problem. But my, my point is this about God being holy. Do you know when that finished I, I, and, and, and that spirit left? I was relieved. And we said, God, come closer. I said, God, hang on a minute. I can't cope with this. I was sick for three days after that. I think, oh, it couldn't have been God then. No, no. I remember feeling sick and feeling awful, but God had touched me. And it was years before I found that in Daniel where it says, Daniel says, one day I was there, I was praying, and the Lord whacked me, knocked me on the floor and ministered to me. And Daniel says, and I fell sick for several days. See? And I thought, oh, good, praise the Lord. It's not just me. You see? My point is this. God is holy. And we, we, we call him down. Amen. But I don't think we realize what it means if God was to invade this room right now. Where would you be? Maybe under your seat. Right? You may want to run and hide. It says here that when God showed up, they wanted the rocks to fall on them rather than face him. Right? See, God is holy. Thrice holy. And that's the reason for a lot of the, you know, misunderstandings on earth about everything that happens. He keeps his distance because if he came close, we could be burned up, to put it bluntly. He's an all-consuming fire. And until the issue of sin is properly and progressively dealt with, etc., etc., and we get our spiritual bodies, we, he couldn't come in that way that he's going to come in, in times ahead. So God is holy. God is omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. And that's just fantastic. Because that means that if there's something that I can't do, you know a God who can. If there's something that's impossible for you, it's possible for him. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. And we covered that earlier. In other words, he's present in all places in our universe at the same time. No problem. John Cowan asked a question, a very good question this, this Tuesday night in our cell group. I, was, I can't remember ex exactly, but something like this. Our kids are being taught. Here's the earth and my, my fist is the earth. And there's a star here, right? Let's say it's 100,000 light years away, okay? And it, science is telling us that it takes 100 million years for the light from that star to reach our earth. Listen very closely. Science has discovered that time is physical. Okay, that's what Einstein discovered. Right? Time is physical. Science has also discovered that space is physical. It's fabric. It's the only way they, they can describe it is time and space are interwoven like a, like a fabric that you can tear. And when you tear it, you get a black hole. 
Okay? That's one thing that can happen, one manifestation, if you like, of how this fabric represents itself. Now, does it take, here's the earth, here's that star, and it's a hundred million light years or whatever away, and it takes, you know, a hundred thousand million years for the light from that star to reach the earth. True or false? True. True. It, listen, it would, it would take, light has a speed that it travels at, that's fine, no problem, right? Yes, it would. Did it? <laughs> Today, yes. But we just read it in Job, and God says this, remember how God speaks about time? He calls it something that he will roll up. Remember what Job said when, when, when he spoke to Job? He, he said to Job this, Job, were you there when I stretched time? Were you there when I stretched out the heavens, Job? In other words, what God is saying is, Job, in the beginning, everything was in my hand, if you like. And I stretched out the heavens. I created the heavens. And now, yeah, it would take a hundred million years for the light. You get it? You get it? You see? So today, the, the answer, the, the, the question is not, would it take that time for that light? To, yes, it would now. But did it take it? No, it didn't, because God created it. You get it? God created it. Praise God for the Bible. I tell you, folks, the answers are there. God says, I stretched out the heavens. I created them in the way that you find them today. Amen? And it's the same for time. You say that, let's say this, this is Kay's belt, so don't stand up, Kay, wherever you are, stay in your seat. <laughs> say this belt is a roll of film, you know, video film. It's the same principle. You are physical. You've got a body. And that confines you to time. So time, God's not in time. He can go around time. He can go back. Time is in God. God you know, God's not in time. He's not subject to the rule. God is spirit. And he's outside of that. And one day, he will take you, me, and time, and he says he will roll it up and judgment day will come. Now these things, these first two weeks, I know there's a lot of scientific stuff. That's a, that has to be. Because the book of Genesis talks about creation, folks. And like it or not, there's a whole world rising up that have a different perspective on this. And because of this Genesis factor, they don't want the cross. Right? And it's not that the Bible doesn't give answers. The Bible gives a thousand answers. It's just we need to find them. We need to become familiar with them and answer the questions that the lost are asking. What did I ask the man who led me to the Lord? Why do you believe in Noah's Ark? How can you... I went straight to Genesis, not even knowing what I was doing, not even aware that I actually didn't have sin issues that I wanted dealt with. I had things that I didn't understand. I wanted him to help me with understanding Scripture. So God is omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient, which means he knows all things. The all-wise God. He's incomparable. And what we mean, you know, again, you, you can't bring God down to human size. You're made in God's image. He's not made in yours. Now, many of the problems stem from that. Let me tell you the difference between you and, and, and God, if you like, in terms of him being incomparable. God says this, to whom can you compare me? 
And the answer is no one. No one, Lord. If I was a sculptor, I could sculpt a statue of a child. But if I am a sculptor, I could also have a child. The statue that I have chipped away and created is a creation. But the child that I have had is begotten. There's a big difference between these two things. Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. The only. There's only one. Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. But we are the creation. Now you can tell the difference between this living being and this created thing. That's the distance between us and God. And again, Paul warns us, do not bring God down to your level. Keep Him high. You need Him there, right? That's your, that's your real God. He is my Creator, your Creator. And lastly, the last two points go very much together. God is eternal and God is infinite. And again, mankind has, has found this out for himself. God has made you, created you, and created the sky and everything in it so that it would be convincing to you of his existence. And for a gazillion years since man first existed, he's figured that one out very quickly. That you live as part of eternity and you live in an infinite universe. Listen, folks, look at me. Watch this. Infinity. What, how can you say that there's infinity? How can you say that that space there never ends? I'll tell you how. Because for the space between my fingers to exist, there has to be space for that space to be in. And then there has to be space for that space. And then there has to be space for that space. And all through the centuries, your average farmer working in his field has figured it out. It must never, ever end. Oh, wow. And for a minute to exist, there has to be an hour for the minute to be in. For an hour to exist, there has to be a day for a day. So we definitely live in an infinite you know, universe that never ends. We live in eternity, right, without end. And man, the only reason that you, know, you won't find Christ is you don't want to. You don't want to. And folks, I would say this. Of all the theories about your origin, of all the theories that you can ponder and all the cults and all the religions, I wouldn't give you tuppence for them. I don't believe any of them. By far, the most convincing you know, story of my creation is that one. Not only that, but this is a book that proves itself. And God says, come on then, knock my door and see what will happen to you. Come and seek me, pray to me, and see if I will not answer. And all their theories... And we, they, they, this is just the age we live in. We're bombarded with every... I gave it to you last week or the week before. Human philosophies. We're bombarded with all these things. But I wouldn't give you tuppence for any of them. None, nothing that you're going to find is going to come anywhere near what you've got in your lap. That is the truth of your origin and the, the you know, challenge for your ultimate destination. The word is true. 
you must obey it. Follow it. I must obey it. Follow it. And as we do this series, be relevant for the days in which we live. Let's bow our heads a moment. Father, I pray you would equip us to reach this generation in 2010. The people, our neighbors, our friends, our colleagues, to reach them and to minister to them, to answer the questions they're asking, God, and to show them that the Bible is not just a book full of stories, but you actually have given us a book full of answers. True, good, solid answers that we can trust. Not an opinion, but a belief. A rock on which we can stand. And I pray that as all of us here, and those listening at home, as they read their scriptures and go through these things, would you give revelation after revelation after revelation and let us find you and share you with others. I ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's program. I trust you have been blessed and edified by what you've heard. I want to ask you to do something, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. By doing so, you can help us to take these essential messages out to many other nations, many other people around the world. You can become a partner by visiting our website, preparingtheway.tv, and there you will find many ways that you can join up. Folks, it is a pleasure and an honor to partner with you in bringing in the end times harvest. God bless you, and once again, thank you for listening.